Welcome to the Coming Clean Podcast with your host, Peter O. For over 25 years, entrepreneur, speaker, and CEO Peter O. Estevez has built businesses all over the world, and today he shares his experiences, failures, and successes along the side of some of the most sought-after thought leaders to help you pave your way to success. Please welcome to the show your host, Peter O. Estevez. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Coming Clean Podcast. Uh, today, our guest is Sean Kalaji. Uh, Sean is an entrepreneur, a national speaker, a philanthropist, and one of America's top trial attorneys, online personality, and a creator of various peak performance technologies. But wait, Sean is legally blind. He's a warrior and he's an adventurer. Sean, welcome to Come and Clean Podcast today. Peter, thanks for being here, everybody. Thank you for listening, and congratulations, Peter, on leading uh, an extraordinary life. Thank you, thank you so much, Sean. You have an extraordinary story. You uh, you've done a lot of unique things, and you have accomplished a lot in in your life. And um, I think I think I want to start back to your early childhood. You know, your mother used to push hot dog carts. How does a kid that comes from that background ends up being who you are today with incredible success, but more than anything, a noble and kind heart? Uh, I appreciate that. So uh, number one, my family was not wealthy in money when I was uh, young and growing up. Um, in fact, never got there ever, but they were unbelievably rich in abundance and wisdom and sharing teaching, inclusion, and my grandfather was blind. So I grew up, you know, in terms of the heart-centeredness, I grew up with immense amount of empathy watching my grandfather, who my parents got divorced when I was very young. And we lived with my grandparents um, for a while until my mom got remarried to my stepfather. And during that time frame, I watched my grandfather with his strength and power and love and pride hide his blindness. He hit his blindness. It was not a topic discussed with the family. It was something that he had to hide at work uh, as he was in his late 20s and his 30s, early 40s, as he was legally blind already because there was no Disabilities Act. There was no dynamics to protect him from just terminating because he couldn't see. So my heart went out to him. And every time, Peter, we're sitting in a room and conversation was occurring and people would leave when I was five or six or eight or 10 or 15 or 20 or 25. And my grandfather would be left there alone talking to himself, uh, which by the way, happens to me sometimes now. Um, my heart melted for him. And I would like be a room away be like, yeah, pop, yeah, the, the Jets are, yeah, it's awesome, the quarterback. But I just like jump into the conversation and like support him of not feeling anything about people having disappeared, him being alone. So empathy, love, connection was always there. And my grandfather and so many other great matriarchs and patriarchs that were in my life through athletics and otherwise were always there teaching me that I, everybody, including me, had incredible gifts to share with the world and we could do anything. And that was truly how I was raised. So thank you, Fred. Wow, what an incredible story. Uh, the ironic part of your story is that at a very young age, 17, when you were pursuing a, um, an athlete uh, career as a baseball player, you also were diagnosed with, um, uh, is it the same condition as your grandfather? Yes, uh, retinitis pigmentosa. Yeah. And so I, my, mom, my mom knew since the time I was five that I had the condition. Uh, they told me when I was 17. It was right, like the day I was getting my driver's license was the day they told me. Um, and they were worried about me driving and what might happen. And I hadn't been to an eye doctor in a while. And I was still playing sports at a very elite level at that time. But yeah, it was at 17 that I found out that I had the same condition as my grandfather and that I would eventually go blind, which I have. Huh. 
Uh, Tell us a little bit about the condition and then tell us how do you transition? What happened to your uh, professional um, career as a baseball player? And how did you transition into uh, ultimately becoming a lawyer? Yeah. So what? pretty simple. Uh, Well, let me go into the vision first. So right now I can't see anything on the screen. So I can't see you. I have no idea what you look like. I, I don't even know where you are on this screen. I'm a, very, I'm a very handsome guy, by the way. Yes, I can feel that energy. I am clear. <laughs> your charisma and your handsomeness. So. But like literally, I don't know, like I'm pointing to different spots. Like mm-hmm. I don't know if your head is like this big on the screen, if it's this big on the screen. Like I, I, I don't know where you are, or if, even if you're in the center of the screen. So um, I now if I look peripherally, um, Okay. Yep. I got you. I think so. That would be, I think your head. So I could see, I think that might, well, you probably can't tell, but does it look like I'm pointing at your head? Yeah. Well, you, you're pointing, not exactly at my head, but you're pointing. Oh wait, is this you over here? This might be over you here. Yes. So, yeah. so over here, is that a picture or something? Yeah. There's a painting behind me. Yep. Okay. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm like seeing the painting in my peripheral vision. I thought it was you. And then I could see you there. So I peripherally, I could see some stuff right now. I could see, that I have one finger held up sideways. So wide peripheral I have, I can't see my fingers here. Okay. Those two fingers here. So yeah, that's the, the current state of my vision. And with that said that I, I was able to play college baseball as captain of my Columbia university baseball team. Uh, I was a four year starter, um, except for a little blip during the second half of my sophomore season. Um, and after, uh, scouts became aware of my condition when I was going into my senior year of college and I had an incredible junior year, um, you know, of baseball. And I was told I was getting drafted you know, after my senior year, things are going to be, you know, happen for me. And I, you know, listen, I mean, to be always accurate, I'm not saying I was going to be a high, like first five round major league pick, but I was going to get drafted, you know, and I would have had a legitimate chance from there um, to see what happens. So I would have been, you know, professional player and what I've made the major leagues, even with perfect vision. I, I, I mean, it's, it's still a long shot for everybody to get drafted, but I certainly would have been a professional baseball player and been drafted. So after my senior year, I wasn't drafted because of my condition and its progression. And it was, it was heartbreaking. It was all I ever wanted to do. And at that, at that point though, I was like, all right, like, what am I going to do from here? And so I went and worked for a bank for a year in New York city I did very little work. I didn't even know what my job was, quite frankly. I had no interest in that position. And it was a lot of transition that was there during that year. And it was kind of just like floating around. It was like a, a real, I went to Columbia University. It was a relatively, like, it was a very prestigious company. So it was kind of cool. My family's like, oh, Sean Marks for a bank on Park Avenue. I mean, I, I think I made $26,000 for that year. And I don't even know what my job really was, but I did wear a suit to work every day. Uh, I think I think buying my suit and like the bus fare in that New York City, uh, cost like more than I made, you know? <laughs> so, um, but then from there I decided I was going to go to law school, not because I had any passion to be a lawyer, but just because I thought it's like, Hey, what do you do next? Uh, my grandfather, my grandparents were like, Oh, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be, you know, a doctor. I'm like, I don't think I want to be a doctor. Um, I even dabbled with it for a short period. I'm like, oh, I should go to law school because I don't know what else to do. And I'm going to borrow the money, you know, and I'll figure it out from there. Cause it's, I guess lawyers make some money. I want to have a family, support a family. But I was very lost, Peter, very lost as I headed off to law school. You know, uh, you have made a great success as a transformational speaker, as, a, as an author, as a, um, a creator of various peak performance technologies. And you have never allowed your condition to get on the way of your success. As a matter of fact, um, you know, you have even, even uh, been on the stage with Tony Robbins and many other great personalities. What was the catalyst of your strength to move forward without allowing your condition or anything else to get on your way? Well, thank you for that. Yeah, and it's been an honor and privilege to be on Tony's stage uh, about five times now. Um, and I, I would never overuse the word friend, and I wouldn't call Tony Robbins a friend. I would call him a mentor, but I have had the privilege to be in his house for three days just a month ago with 20 or other people in the lions organization. He's an incredible person. So yeah, um, I have not let this condition get my way and I'm far from perfect. So could, I can give you a list of all the mistakes I've made and all my imperfections. But one thing that's not an imperfection in me 
and is one of the things that I, I really um, am very grateful to God that I have in my nervous system and have created, and it wasn't easy, um, was the ability to have absolute faith and certainty in following what people teach me. So as an athlete, my coaches taught me stuff and I did what they told me. Not perfectly, but like A plus, you know, A plus. Like you said, go in the weight room, I go in the weight room. He said, do this many reps and do this much weight and increase the reps and the weight this way. I just did it. You know, um, what I was taught to do, I did. Same thing in law school. You know, people said, this is how you need to study and do well. I did it. So I've always just been like, hey, so my, my fictional heroes were like Batman, James Bond, Luke Skywalker, Rocky. And I always loved underdogs and athletics. And what they all had in common to me, Peter, and everybody out there, was they just like were result-driven. You know, they're heart-centered, result-driven. And it's like, there's a way. And we're going to innovate. And those, what those fictional characters all had in common was whatever the obstacle, whatever the challenge, even Adam West Batman, and if it was Egghead or King Tut or the Joker, the Riddler, Catwoman, like all these crazy problems would arise. James Bond, the same thing. They would just figure it out. They're like the outcome is this, save the world. The outcome is save this person. Like whatever that outcome was, it was figured out, obstacles everywhere, get it done. And I think that really came into my DNA as an athlete. I was the guy like, you know, caught the winning touchdown pass in my high school championship game. It was like, coach, give me the ball. I'm going to find a way to beat this guy. You know, and it didn't always work and everything I did for sure. But I just had this like belief in me that I wanted to save the day. Like, give me the ball. Trust me. Let me make it happen. It's going to happen. I think that fundamental belief is that I want to be the person who is going to put it out there for people I love and care about, for my teammates, for people, for humanity. Give me the ball give me the chance, give me the stage, give me the microphone, put that pressure, that onus, that challenge on me. And yeah, I'm going to carry that. I want that, you know, and I, I think that has led me to many, many great outcomes. So thank you. Wow. I guess success starts in our mind, doesn't it? I mean, it, it is, it is how we condition ourselves to think and believe that gives us the outcome that we want. Uh, Sean, in 2003, uh, after, uh, finding out that, that you could not be a professional basketball player after going to law school and becoming a lawyer and building a very successful law firm, you ended up selling that law firm and became certified as a coach, as a personal development coach. What drew, what was, what was, uh, why did you do that? Why, why, why building a successful practice? What, what, what drove you to, 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 to do that, to pursue that? Yeah. I mean, Peter, thank you. First of all, I'm uh, like, I'm honored that a person of your success and brilliance is, you know, that dialed into these dates and timelines and they're like right on. So thank you for that. Thank uh, you. Yeah. And so I, at that juncture, in 1997, I discovered the work of Tony Robbins and I decided, and Jay Abraham and other brilliant uh, speakers in the space of uh, success and marketing and selling, so I quit my job at a major law firm, $100,000 in credit card debt, uh, I'm sorry, of law school debt, and I decided to start my own credit, uh, law firm on a credit card. And truly, I did it as an experiment to see if personal development worked or not. Like, would this work? And it did. And I committed that if it worked, I was going to sell the firm, and I was going to go teach and train people how to do these things. So they can create some more financial abundance, more time freedom to spend doing whatever they wanted. For me, it was my children, you know, my family, uh, but whatever it was for people and, and to create the emotions, the things they really want in their life. So yeah, in 03, um, I became a certified coach, sold my practice to start training people to do the same thing because I had watched somebody like Tony Robbins and the impact he was having on lives all over the world and my life just from afar from his books and his recordings. As I said, now I've had a very different opportunity um, to, to build a relationship with him um, as a student of his and his Lions organization. But, you know, it, like, it wasn't that then. And he impacted my life and changed it just from a book. I was like, wow, like, like I want to do this for people. I want to share this message. And, you know, how come everybody's not doing this? It was like, like, oh my God, I tell my friends, my family, there's so much we can like have in our life and, and we don't need to succumb to the things that we're afraid of. And, yeah, it was really present for me. So launching, selling that first law firm was just the culmination of why I started it, to build it, 
and sell it if this all worked and to move into the space of coaching, training, and development. And that's exactly what I did. And, you know, to me today, more as a matter of fact, uh, the very first transformational motivational speaker that I ever went to go see was Tony Robbins back in 1986. Uh, wow. Yeah. So, so I'm dating myself a little bit, right? Back in 1986, uh, and, and, and Tony was a young man at the time, and I was much younger at the time as well. Uh, but I remember the impression that, that he's made on me. And um, as I seen Tony revolutionize the personal development space, it's been fascinating to see his energy, his commitment, his education, and more importantly, his success with humility and gratitude that he has expressed throughout the world. Uh, and, 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 and the reason I bring that up is because um, that area that you were uh, introduced to personal development, there was also another, many other great minds, you know, Bob Proctor, Jim Rohn, John Maswell. What was it that attracted you to Tony Robbins and not these other uh, personalities? I would say two things. Um, I would say first, I didn't know any different. And somebody just said, hey, when I was going to, when I got really overwhelmed, when I first graduated from law school and I'm like, I, I don't want to be working 16 hours a day. And, and I was leading the firm in billable hours. I'm like, I don't like this, want this life. And somebody handed me, when I handed me, told me to go buy a book. And I told you, I do what people tell me to do. So I went to the bookstore and said, buy Waking the Giant Within. So I did. And it spoke to my heart and my soul. So it just happened to be, you know, the first introduction in the world of personal development to me. But I think also the reason he resonated so much with me is it reminded me so much of what I had learned as an athlete, you know, when, when he would talk about our physiology and being a peak state, you know, my high school, I was a baseball, football, baseball, football uh, player and a wrestler in high school. And we would run out of the locker room to like born to be wild when nobody else was doing it in Northern New Jersey and the lights would be out and the crowds cheering lights are on. And so when he talked about his, his approaches to things, I'm like, these are the things I did as an athlete. He was giving language to things I had never thought about. You know, in football, we would come out and we would get an E for Emerson High School and we would do E-M-E-R-S-O-N. And like, we would like be literally getting in state. I didn't know what that meant. And I was a vocal, aggressive, physical leader in the, in the football locker room, which is a part of my nature. So when Tony would, you know, jump into what I would call now, for my language, like Zeus energy, and he'd be like firing people up. I'm like this, yeah, speaking to my soul, he was just like one of my sports coaches. And he had language for explaining what it all meant and was. So from the day I first read his book and listened to his audio recordings, I was like, yes, this is like, this resonates and speaks to who I am. And I think that's why he resonated so deeply with me. You know, and, and why is it that that um, practice or that system of personal development, Sean, in your opinion, is not taught in schools because obviously it's very effective. And we are beginning to see today that there is a plethora of uh, speakers, transformational speakers, motivational speakers that are very, very successful. And in addition to that, we have seen almost a crossover from entrepreneurs and other professionals jump into the space and be begun to be coaches. And, you know, I see it with, uh, with uh, Damon John. I see it. I see it with a lot of personalities that 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 this was not their space, but they have morphed into the space and have become, it has become part of, 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 of their brand, okay? Why is that so prevalent today and it wasn't back in the uh, 60s or 70s or even the 80s? Yeah, well, thank you for that, Peter. And folks out there, I, I think it's because I think people were very fearful. I think people were in much more fixed models of like how things were you know, we're evolving as a society, you know, it, in, in, in early 1960s, you know, black people were riding on the backs of buses. You know, we lived in a, in a culture, there's so many beautiful things about America and everything that's occurred. And there was so many vestiges of broken systems of rigidity and judgment and blame and exclusion. So I think to me, um, some of the, the beautiful puritanical work ethics that form this nation uh, also carried very fixed perspectives about uh, false humility, punitive measures, judgment, blame, exclusion. And I think that as the world of Napoleon Hill and 
Dale Carnegie was emerging, for some people, the idea of enthusiasm and positivity was a weakness. You know, um, I have a, a mixture of Western Europe in my background, and I know that in my sort of like grew up in a very homogeneous town of Irish, Italian, um, yeah, really Irish and Italian predominantly, right? And if I was like, how are you? And I'm like, I'm doing great today, you know? People would be like, they'd laugh, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, like, what the hell's wrong with him? Yeah, like, what's supposed to be doing great? Yeah. yeah. So I think, I think there was just conformity, you know, and conformity was present. And I think as time has evolved, I mean, conformity is definitely still present, but at a fraction of what it was at that time. And I think a lot of the folks, I'm a lawyer, there's still lawyers that, like, well, you're a lawyer. What do you do? Like, what's coaching? When I'll tell you this, Peter, like this true story. I have the largest jury verdict in Arizona in the last 10 years in my case, right? And when I first went out there, um, the other side would joke, laugh, and mock. And, and brother, like I love people, but I'm one competitive dude. And so you're going to like joke, laugh, mock. All right. Like I'm not going to like punch you in the face, but I'm going to kick your A, right? Like it's going to be inside of me. And so they would, and they would joke and laugh and mock because they looked me up online and they saw that I was a certified coach. And so this other super aggressive, like belligerent, like, I mean, truly evil villain like character. And I'm not, I'm not judging his soul and his heart, but that's how he was appearing and acting in the world. He would make fun of me every time I see me. He's like, Hey, what's up coach? This guy was a successful entrepreneur who was stealing my client's company, right? They were partners. They've been friends. Like, what's up, coach? And his lawyers like snicker and laugh. And so I think that people were afraid of experiencing that. I wasn't. I'm not. And people like Damon John, all these other, you know, amazing folks, yourself, people that were successful, were like, yeah, the greatest way to leave a legacy, to maybe fulfill my mission from God, the universe, whatever you believe, is by giving and sharing with others. The Bible talks about the story of the talents. And and as long as we can get over our fear of the judgment of the traditional construct, like, I don't really care if some, you know, at this point with my, my pedigree and credentials, like, I don't care whatever anybody's going to say. Somebody said something to me like, oh, like, what are you, some coach or something? I'm like, yeah, like, you know, what's your challenge? Well, then you're not really a lawyer. I say, well, respectfully, what's your largest jury verdict? You know, I have a 27 million, 33 million of one of two lawyers in the country at a 1.2 million that two top 100 national jury verdicts between 2014 and 16. I don't think he did that. So maybe I should be coaching you, I probably think, right? I have a 125 person law firm that I built. What, like respectfully, dude, what did you do? And I don't go there. And so I talk to people normally, but inside of me, I'm very comfortable going there. People are going to be rude or disrespectful. And also anchoring that belief system into me is the judgment and limitation of others. If it didn't stop Tony Robbins, who was a janitor and did not graduate college, didn't go to college, if it didn't stop him from coaching presidents, my Ivy League undergrad, me building a law, uh, a law firm twice, me doing what I did, I don't care what people think about me at this point, Peter. Like, I don't care. And so rooted in, I, I care people's heart and soul and I want to impact people, but I don't care those that want to detract or limit, like that's not going to stop me. If it didn't stop all these incredible people, I can't even imagine the stuff, brother, that you dealt with and how you built what you built. And if it didn't stop you, didn't stop amazing people like you, it's not going to stop me either. Thank you, Sean. What an incredible explanation. You know, the reality is that our personal development, I understanding of the human brain and human behavior is our superpower. Mm -hmm. And most people minimize that, you know, because I can I can almost visualize you as you speaking, how you could become a lot more relatable on a human level to a uh, jury, um, you know, in, in a courtroom, because now you're still you're speaking a human language. You're not speaking in, 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 in legal terms. You're, you become relatable. You become humanized. Um, and, 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 and to that point, you, you, you actually started a, um, uh, what is called, uh, your program, your coaching program, your, your course, your mastermind, for lack of a better word, in I'm 2018, I'm blinded. Tell us a little bit about that and why, well, I'll go into that next question. Tell us a little bit about unblinded. Yeah, so um, I built a formula because I thought there were huge gaps in personal development. And I was, I was troubled by the issue of some people going to seminars and not getting the results they wanted. 
And I wanted to, I always like solving for challenges for people to lessen suffering. So I'm like, you know, boom, boom, boom. I think that there's three parts to success, influence mastery, process mastery, self-mastery. I was figuring this stuff out around 2000, 2001. And it was helping. I'm like, why am I successfully translating personal development to actual results and so many amazing, beautiful, intelligent, wonderful human beings struggling to do so. So I was all about solving for that. So I started teaching everything I'm teaching now in 03, 4, 5, 6, built an amazingly successful tra um, training development company. And then I realized that I wanted to be a business owner, not operator. I want to coach all my kids, games, teams, take them to school, not work weekends, not work nights, you know, being business ownership. And I'm like, you know, candidly, um, owning a law firm, the way I knew how to do it was much more leverageable and scalable. Like Tony Robbins, and he, he always talks about it. He does his work as a business uh, operator by choice. He's could retire a thousand times over, but it's by choice. And, but it's him, he's teaching, he's there, he's present. So I realized that for me to build this mission um, that I'm on, you know, the unblinded formula, that I needed to work nights, weekends. That's when people are gonna go to programs and go to seminars. And so I stopped in 2006 and said, well, my kids get older, I'm gonna go back and relaunch it. In 2018, my son was graduating from high school. My daughters were, you know, later in their high school years. And I'm like, it's time. And so what Unblinded was, was the launch of what I intended to do from 1999 when I built the first law firm, when I built my coaching and training program in 2003, 4, 5, 6. And it was just, I put that on pause, built the second law firm from zero to 100. And that was a business owner, not operator from, you know, 06, 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way through today. I still have that firm, right? And it's still growing. And so I was like, yeah, like, let's go do this thing and let's build Unblinded and do this mission now that my kids are busier. They've retired me from my favorite job, which is being their coach, and, you know, dad and having fun and adventures. And that's what it is. And what we help people do is make more money, you know, unleash more financial abundance in less time with scalability with more magic. And that's present and available for everybody in the world to have. And that's what we teach and share. And that's what my heart's all about. Incredible. Uh, Sean, there's some areas, um, there's some professions rather that, I feel that although they carry a great service work and they do incredible work for the communities, there's also still still out of touch with the humanness of what is needed today. You know, in, in my opinion, uh, the medical profession, primarily doctors, um, engineers, and also more than anything than any than any other profession, uh, the law profession. Yes, sir. Uh, there, 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 there is a tremendous, uh, in my opinion, uh, you know, uh, been through a couple of divorces and I have seen how uh, the attorneys uh, in, in, created a greater problem in, in the process of a divorce and that what needed to be. Okay. Yeah. And I have seen that in, in, in the law profession many, many times and we hear about it all the time. Um, why is it that personal development has not penetrated those areas? Why is it that, that there's not a bigger effort uh, to, to, to reach that community and to sensitize it, for lack of a better word? Yeah, well, brother, um, I am all about that mission. And we're building out divisions of Unblinded. I mean, Unblinded is a movement. You know, so like we have like hundreds of people in our programs we're partnering with people. We're creating verticals, uh, you know, geographically and by profession. So I'm up to like to do that, to solve big problems in the world, including the one you just described. And so why do I think it hasn't happened? I'll tell you exactly. We have an adversarial system in the law. It's trial by combat. It is, no, it is not much different than the days when knights, you know, would battle or, you know, gentlemen or people claim to be gentlemen would pull out guns and duel or gunfighters in the old West, right? Would be pulling out guns and shooting each other, right? That's our legal system. And that's it. It's whoever's stronger wins. That's what it is. And judges are not incentivized to dispense justice. Judges are incentivized to get rid of cases fast. They're, they're incentivized to bring the duel to the street as quickly as they can and clean up the body and, and have the bodies swept away and the next duel comes in. That's what we're incentivized to do in the judicial system. That's not me judging judges. It's the system of their, their number one criteria is drive cases through the system. 
And they could be as heart-centered as they like, but whatever you're incentivized to do is what you're going to do. So if you're trying to mediate and set a location, you're going to look for whoever, whomever's weaker, right? So how do, we, how do we fix that? So I think we fix it in a couple ways. Number one, anybody out there that's ever in a contract with anybody, make sure you put a loser pays the attorney's fees provision. And if you're ready to be the honest, like good person, I put in triple attorney's fees, <laughs> the loser pays, because that keeps the other person you're dealing with much more honest. As long as you're planning on being honest, you want that provision. If the other person doesn't want that provision, you know that there's going to be some challenges, right? So that's number one. Number two, if we would or able, and this is part of what I want to do, uh, I am doing, not want to do, is to enforce the rules of truth in, from lawyers and judges. There's an, a responsibility of candor to the tribunal, to the judges that lawyers have. There's a responsibility that in penalties for people committing perjury and lying, those provisions are not enforced. We do not hold lying or people who, who lie, we do not hold them accountable right, in the system. So it encourages lying. It dries up costs. It engages, encourages bad behavior. So number one, we need like rating systems of the dispensing of justice. That's a lot more complicated and a longer story for a different day. So judges are incentivized better than just clearing their docket, right? That's not a good way to be incentivized to go faster, right? I understand that the system is overwhelmed. That's much more complex. Much more simply, enforcing perjury, uh, criminal and civil laws, and having uh, judges hold lawyers accountable for, their, for being candid and lying. Lawyers lie all the time. Witnesses lie all the time. Just enforcing the laws on the book would incentivize truth in a way that cannot possibly be realized, as I just described. And third, remember, loser pays attorney's, attorney's, fees, for, loser pays attorney's fees provisions to keep people honest. Well, the reality is that, that I think we are living in a society and in a time in history where many of those structure systems, uh, they have not been revised, they have not been, uh, they have not changed over the course of years, uh, need to be dismantled. They need to, they, 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 they need to evolve. You know, yeah. a lot of those systems are two, 300 years old. You know, they're, they're, they come with a entangle ideas and beliefs that no longer function in today's society. Um, Brother, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, uh, Sean, what has been your biggest lesson that you have learned during this downtime? I don't know if we call it downtime uh, of coronavirus. What, 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 what has been your biggest aha moment and the biggest thing that you have learned from this time that we're living in history? Well, thank you, Peter. So I would say I've never been busier over a five-month period of my life and been more committed to building something, you know? Um, and our acceleration during this time frame from Blinded has been remarkable. And so I would say the biggest level, two big, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say the two biggest. The first lesson I've learned is how easy it is to have people succumb to a group mindset a group mindset of fear and limitation and lack. And so many people have just bought into the notion of like, we need to, to halt and we got to wait this thing out. And just, that's just not true. You know, and this thing may never go away. I know what's going to happen. Right. But we can accelerate so massively. This is the second point is we can accelerate so massively when we are conscious and intentional and it has revealed to me the true heart of people, which is a love and a desire for acceleration. And if we could just get ourselves away from the media that makes money by addicting us to drama and negativity and limitation, whatever your political affiliation is, it's the same on all over, right? Negativity, blame, judgment, resentment, anger, right? Those addictive negative dynamics, if we can break free from those things, we can so powerfully lead and accelerate the things that we believe in our hearts are the best things for our life and the people that we love in the world. And I completely agree with you there, but I also believe that there's an incredible gap in generations. Like, for example, 
um, if you're a baby boomer, and I would assume by 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 our age groups that we're you're fall right along the baby boomer generation, right? Is, or, or maybe a little bit younger. Yeah, like I'm, I'm 50. So, okay. um, I, okay, I, so you're I, right under the baby boomer generation. Okay. My parents, my parents were like, you know, early baby boomers. Yes. Okay. So, so, so there's, there's, there's a tremendous gap in generations today uh, because of what happened during the millennial generation. I mean, that is the, the generation of information. That is the, the digital generation, the generation of, 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 of uh, social media, the generation that has really uh, inherited a lot of new technology, a lot of new knowledge with very little wisdom or experience. Okay, and here we are, two or three generations ahead of that generation. They had the willy, the, the the wisdom and the experience and the knowledge and the maturity, but we also stuck with a tremendous amount of limited beliefs that we inherited from multiple uh, generations that we have carry on. Right, you know. Yeah. Uh, church beliefs, governments, uh, you name it. Okay, so 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 there's a tremendous gap in between there. One generation that has everything at their fingertips, and and it's almost to a certain degree a little idealistic. And then we have this generation that has the maturity to be able to make wise choices, but yet we are limited because of some of our our, our culture conditioning. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we how do we bridge that gap in order to be able to dismantle those structures that will continue to hold us back? Because there's we we can't meet in the middle. How do how do we do that? Yeah, I mean, Peter, you're you're brilliant. Um, I love your analysis uh, and your point. I think the greatest way we do it is doing what you're doing, what you're doing, what I'm doing, what some of your listeners I'm sure are doing, and why they're here. And I honor all of you for that and being kindred spirits of wanting more. It's going out and sharing our heart, being examples of possibility to the world and bringing forth our messaging. And, and exactly, and, and I would say the first message for everybody crossing both of those generational dynamics is self-awareness. You know, every day that I feel a pull when we all do it towards blaming and judging others, and I do it too. I'm, I'm aware of it. I'm like, all right. And like, and, you know, I try to catch myself and I do catch myself most often, right? Not perfectly always. I try to think of myself first. How am I showing up? You know, where, how can I grow? What's the lesson? A simple, fun, frictionless, easy, exponential lesson missed for me. How I share that with other people. So I think it's, it's all rooted in us taking care of ourselves, our own mindset, being examples to others and sharing that with others um, you know, individually, I think systemically, you mentioned it, and I couldn't agree more, uh, revamping our educational systems and our models, um, changing campaign finance and so that lobbyists and companies can't buy politicians. I think these things are the necessary elements on a macro, larger level, right? You know, micro level, it's us, our self-awareness, us taking care of us. Macro, um, reforming educational systems and dynamics, for sure reforming how we finance campaigns and politicians for sure. And I think you put those things together and we're going to have a a pathway to um, even more magic. And by the way, I love the world. Like I think we live at the greatest time in human history. I think it's really easy and simple to look at all the things that are wrong and be really down. And there's plenty of things that are wrong, but I also think there's so much that's right. And, you know, our our grandparents would um, have prayed for some of the problems that we have. You know, my grandmother was Italian, you know, and her, my grandfather's family was Polish. And they said, don't go out in Italian. They're dirty. They smell. They're gross. Like, you know, so there's been, you know, I'm Irish. You know, my great grandparents, you know, when they were in this country uh, or great, great grandparents, there were signs on the wall that said Irish need not apply. You know, they wouldn't hire Irish people for being Irish. Now, there's certainly not a skin color issue and black people have it, you know, it's, it's much more challenging because there's a literal visual difference, right? And then we still have systemic racism, but we've always had unbelievable challenges. And I think we're getting better and better at solving them, not worse and worse, but we still have some big ones to deal with. That's my heart. You know, uh, I could agree more and I could agree more with where we are living in magical times in the world. And you're right. Our ancestors would have cried for some of the systemic problems that we have today. But the reality is that we live in a very abundant world. We have the best medicine that we have ever had, the best technology that we have ever experienced. 
uh, everything about, uh, we live in an abundant world. The reality is, and we also are privileged to be able to live uh, in one of the uh, in one of the most prosperous nations in the world, we continue to be the envy of the world as a nation, regardless of what we may think of some of our leaders. The res- uh, you know, and respectfully, we criticize them, but we're also the ones that elect them. So, yeah. uh, you know, maybe, you know, there's a couple of things that you touched on, and I want to touch on it a little bit, a little bit more. You, you, you talked about taking care of ourselves, and, and I know what you mean. I know what you mean uh, by that coming from a coming from a, a personal development space, you know, because I also believe that the more I take care of myself, the better I show up in the world. OK, yeah. uh, and, you know, and, and I believe that there's 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 five cornerstones that sustains us as a human being. They're physical, mental, emotional, spiritual and financial. OK, and if we are able to stand in balance at whatever level, each area of those cornerstones, then we show up in the world uh, as a better human being. And, and, and I wanted to clarify that because a lot of times people say, well, take care of yourself. Uh, you know, is that coming from a selfish a space? But what is the importance of taking care of those cornerstones, Sean? What does that what does that mean to you? Listen, I've never met. So thank you for that. And I love that framework, Peter. Um, I've never met a person who is living internally in lack, in emotional scarcity, that has ever been a person that can give to others. I don't mean financial. My, my grandparents didn't have money, and they gave so much because they were not living in scarcity and lack, right? But as we grow, even for our grandparents, what they did is they created a grandson, me, and other beautiful, crazy you know, children, my parents, you know, my mom, you know, my dad, you know, from their parents, cousins, people that went out and, and advanced the ball, which has allowed me to give money to free kids from sexual slavery. It allows me to give money to the American Foundation for the Blind to change the unemployment rate. Um, it's allowed me, and I'll say this with humility, but factually, to give away a million dollars in a year, you know, which I've done. And, you know, my grandparents, my mom pushed the hot dog cart. My grandparents didn't graduate from high school. And in this incredible country, you know, two generations later, that happens. My uncle gave, you know, was a retina surgeon. Their son gave a million dollars to his college. You know, it was crazy the things that can happen in one or two generations. So I think if we, if we don't focus on our own abundance, and everybody's got a different gift. Mother Teresa, uh, you know, is different than Tony Robbins. But Tony Robbins is planting millions of trees, feeding hundreds of millions of people, and freeing tens of thousands from sexual slavery. Some people are here to spread that financial abundance, that health abundance, that spiritual abundance. And we all have different callings and missions and ways that we contribute. But I know this, um, we can't give out of what we don't have. So causes need money. They also need energy. They need wisdom. They need love, right? They need all those things. And it's only people that have an abundance of each of those things, those five cornerstone principles that you talked about that can give. You know, I, I can't help teach a kid to drive. You know, I can't, I can't do that because I'm blind, right? So it's somebody that has that, that abundance, you know, that visual abundance that could do things that I can't do. And I can do other things they can't do. So I think when we build up abundance in, within ourselves, our heart, our soul, our mind, and they manifest in different ways in the physical realm, like you discussed, then we have an abundance to give and share and multiply with others. Beautifully said. How do you build up that abundance? What are your go-to? What are your rituals? What do you do every day? Yeah, so it, uh, I, I believe in variety. So my rituals are rooted in some form of variety to get myself physically engaged. You know, so I physically work out in the morning. This morning, um, I was up at 6 a.m. on my first calls at 6 and 7 and 8. And then I had a window um, where I, I surfed for 15 minutes this morning. So, um, you know, Normally, I get a little bit more time in for a workout, but I surfed two more times today, two of the 15-minute windows. So, so far today, I surfed for 45 minutes. I'll surf again one more time today. Um, I will always physically engage my body because I'm not – I'm I, every day I physically engage my body at least an hour a day, number one. Number two, um, I, I run huddles where I'm teaching. I launch every day the Unblinded Huddle, 8.30 a.m. every day, and we have hundreds of people that are on live that are getting trained and launching their day, connecting, having fun, laughing, 
enjoying wisdom, you know, unlocking money, time, and magic. So that's there every day. Um, I make sure I have a balance of uh, time. I travel, uh, even during this time. You know, I this weekend I was in Wyoming for a, a trip with the Tony Robbins Platinum Partners. I rode Peter in a rodeo, in a rodeo for speed. Out of all the Platinum Partners, cited or not, I came in third out of the 80 people that were there, first out of Lions uh, that were there in like rodeo riding. So I try to build an adventure, fun, passion, enthusiasm every single day. I also make sure that I'm, I, I'm, Alexa is a very dear asset in my world. I'm very grateful for that. You know, I can't see. So I use Alexa to read me audiobooks. So I'll take a break and I'll sit in the shower as I get ready. And I'll be, I'll literally sit and I'll listen for 15 minutes to Alexa while I'm just letting my mind like drift into like things to, to create and accomplish. And final, final, I always engage in what I call executive creation decision-making time. I, I will get up early enough in a day. It's gotta be five o'clock in the morning to just think, to think, to write notes to the team, to share, leave audio messages, right? For people, so I can like reframe my priorities for the day, my week, my month. Um, so I have absolute clarity on what I'm creating in the world. Wow, wow. Sean, there's an interesting uh, ritual that you have. And I find that interesting only for, because we talk about how poisoning and, and corrupted uh, the news could be today. Yeah. But you actually have a practice of listening to the media every morning. And the reason for that is, I'm quoting you, so I don't lose empathy. Yeah. So yes, Alexa runs. Um, Alexa has a thing to play flash briefing. So I listen to like an Alexa flash briefing. And I, I, I don't watch an entire news program, but I catch a flash briefing. And I don't. So by the way, so let me say a couple things. One, I absolutely advocate that people not watch entire news programming and have very short doses of the news, right? But I do check in and want to know what people are thinking and are worried about and concerned about in the world. So while I may have ideas that uh, what I call a focal illusion is created in the news, um, and I got that concept from Malcolm Gladwell, like, so whatever we talk about, whatever we focus on becomes our reality, right? So I'll listen and check in on what most people are worried about, concerned about, thinking about, because I know whatever I listen to on one news show is basically the types of topic, topics that are going to be across the board. You know, maybe they'll cover it differently, but it's those topics. So yeah, I, I don't want to lose the empathy and caring for what people are having cortisol flowing through their system, what they're worried about, what they're fearing. And yeah, I want to know sort of what our leaders are thinking and what else is out there. And I never want to disconnect societally um, from what people are feeling. And I think it's very important. I think what caught my attention to that, uh, Sean, is the empathy factor. So even when you do, it, it seems to me that you have developed a series of rituals with intention, okay? You, yes. you, you, your intention is for the greater cost. Whatever you get out of whatever you take in, is so whenever you give back is for greater abundance for the benefit of others. And I truly appreciate that. And it shows, it shows in your success. Sean, tell us a little bit, uh, we're, we're, we're coming towards the end of the, of, of, of the uh, podcast. So tell us a little bit more. I'm interested in the huddles that you do. Tell us a little bit about that and who are those, who can participate in those and what is your mission and purpose in the huddles? Yeah, so um, the huddles are there for everybody. Um, anybody in the world can and should be, should's a big word, has the opportunity to listen in those huddles. For anybody who wants more money and or more time, freedom scale, and or more magic in their life. It's for everybody. The people that would get the most, the most specific benefit from the huddles would be people who have the, um, either the ability to have more control presently over their income or people who would want to gain that control. So business owners, entrepreneurs, professional service, services providers, doctors, lawyers, functional medicine practitioners, accountants, engineers, people in the coaching, training, speaking space, people that are creating their own income, they're creating sales and marketing, right? Or we're in a profession where that can create more freedom and abundance for them, right? And my purpose in doing it is, I think that 
how we start our day is critical. And I teach a formula. And I think my, my outcome is to ground people in that formula so they have the certainty, the fire, the love, the joy, the laughter, the simplicity, the fun, the magic to go forward and create each of their greatest day every day. And I think there's a lot of material out there in the personal development world. And my foundational, my outcome is to organize in a way that's usable, practical to drive people forward each and every day in their life intentionally towards whatever their dreams are. Their dreams, not mine, theirs. And that's what the huddle is all about every day, 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. And it's accessible and free for everybody. Where can they join? Where can they participate? Unblindedhuddle.com. It's at unblindedhuddle.com. That's the space. And if you want to, if you're an entrepreneur or professional and you want to join us in advancing and moving things forward in what you're up to, we also are looking at partnerships in our real raw that help people do and create advancement in, in the space of experiential marketing, which is a story for a different day. But if you're interested in acceleration, uh, Unblinded is here for you. Where can people find you? Yeah, the best place to find me is unblindedhuddle.com. Uh, um, if you have any desire, you know, contact us up there, um, you know, at the Unblinded website, and we will say hello and get to know you. But I, but I mean this sincerely. There's no better way to access who we are and what we're doing than to listen into the huddles. And you listen to one, give us one week of huddles. They're 15 to 30 minutes. I work hard to keep them 15 minutes each day. Our mission is to have it be the greatest way to start your day in the world. You will know what we're all about in a week. And then there's loads of other ways that we could do things together. Website and all the information will be available in the show notes. The incredible and unstoppable Sean Colladie. You. you heard him here on Come and Clean Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Peter. Go ahead and get it fixed. Uh, hit a dash in my position. You will never last. Nah. Real talk. I had to get it from the mall. Real talk. Now I'm vibing with a bayroll. Thanks for joining us today on another episode of the Coming Clean Podcast. Make sure to join Peter and his next guest on a brand new episode as we continue changing and impacting lives across the world. Share this episode with a friend. Follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Go ahead and get it fast. Hit a dash in my position. You will never.